Good evening. I want to thank each one of you for being out here tonight. As the title says, we're going to be continuing our study on the fear of the Lord. And I just want to make quick mention, the fear walking up here is just about the same kind of fear that you've got in the Lord. <laughs> or at least it should. Because ultimately, we're using his word. And hopefully we're using it correctly, and that's what the biggest fear is. It's making sure that it is being used properly uh, and adequately, and hopefully it's encouraging to each one of you today as we go through this study. So as we go through the fear of the Lord, my topic is going to be love and hate in the fear of the Lord. And I don't think I know what I got myself into, because you can do about 15, 20 lessons just on each one of those individually, we're going to try to uh, simplify this to about 45 minutes. But love and hate and the fear of the Lord. But first off, we want to start off with what is the fear of the Lord? As each one of the other speakers have done, they've given some sort of reference to what the fear is. And ultimately, we're all talking about the same thing. We just have it with different outlooks. And I want to look at the fear of the Lord as a two-sided coin. You're going to have two sides to the coin, but they all equate to what fear is and fear in the Lord. And the first side of that coin is awe. Second side of that coin is reverence. So in order to have the fear of the Lord, we've got to have both reverence and awe. They are one and the same because they're on the same coin. Same thing with your quarters. You've got the head, and on the back you've got another side to the coin. And Together, they make up 25 cents. Well, all in reverence, those both make up the fear of the Lord. So just quickly go over what all is. All is a fear of being disobedient to the Creator. So all is actually fear itself. It's being afraid of doing something wrong. Webster Dictionary describes it as an emotion variously combining dread, veneration, and wonder that is inspired by authority or by sacred or sublime. But ultimately, we're going to be looking at it as fear. And in that fear, you can turn over to Psalm chapter 33 and verse 8. Psalm 33 and verse 8. Just so we get a clearer picture of what this all is, Psalm 33 and verse 8. Psalm 33, verse 8 says, Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. Those words are being used basically the same. And again, Isaiah 66 and verse 2. Isaiah 66 and verse 2. Isaiah chapter 66 and verse 2. Verse 2 says, For my hands made all these things, thus all these things came into being, declares the Lord. But to this one I will look to him who is humble and contrite of spirit, and who trembles at my word. Psalm 119, verse 120. Psalm 119, verse 120. 119th Psalm and verse 120. My flesh trembles 
for fear of thee, and I am afraid of thy judgment. Now, who does that sound like from the Old Testament? My first thought was there in uh, 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 11 and verse 7. 1, 7 or 1 Samuel chapter, chapter 11 and verse 7. Here Saul is talking to the Israelites. <clears throat> and they have the Ammonites knocking at their doorsteps. And ultimately it's leading to a fight. And some of the Israelites, they don't want to fight the Ammonites. And it says in verse 7, And he took a yoke of oxen and cut them in pieces and sent them throughout the territory of Israel by the hand of a messenger, saying, Whoever does not come out after Saul and after Samuel, so shall it be done to this oxen. Then the dread of the Lord fell on the people, and they came out as one man. That's the same kind of fear that we should have for the Lord. And on the flip side of that, there's got to be reverence. Reverence is going to be a feeling of profound respect. Webster Dictionary calls it honor or respect felt or shown. But ultimately, it's going to be respect. We've got to have both fear or awe, and we've also got to have respect. As Brother Kevin mentioned, it's just like being married. You're both afraid and in awe of your wife or husband. Typically, it's our wives. But Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 58, to give some uh, clarification on this reverence. Deuteronomy 28 and verse 58. And Kevin, you didn't listen when you told yourself uh, and everybody else not to laugh at that comment, so... 28 and verse 58, Deuteronomy. If you are not careful to observe all the words of this law, which are written in this book, to fear this honored and awesome name, the Lord your God. It's not just about fear itself. It's about honoring him. Luke chapter 7 and verse 16. Luke 7 and verse 16. Luke chapter 7 and verse 16. And fear gripped them all, and they began glorifying God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. So here we have Jesus that just raised this man from the dead. There's really no mention of actual fear here. They were in awe of what he had done. And they respected who he was. But it says fear gripped them all. That's what being in the fear of the Lord. It is that sense of respect. And they began glorifying God. So what is fear going to cause us to do regarding love and hate? Which is ultimately our topic for tonight. We're going to start off with hate. Mainly because I want to leave that love for the ending because I think it ends to a good invitation. I hate vegetables. I think most of your kids will probably say that too. Some of you will probably say you hate work. Well, I don't know if I can necessarily hate my work. <laughs> but uh, we've since 
America has formed and since the English language has formed, it's been hard for us to describe both hate and love because we use it so casually. And those are just ways that people use it nowadays. Well, I hate this, I hate that. And normally it's something that they typically just really don't like. They like it less. And the New Testament uses that in the same way. When he tells us to hate our mothers and fathers, he wants us to love them less than God. <clears throat> but then we see actual hate. Uvalde, Texas. I'm sure all of you know about that. And the terror that was stricken in Texas and around the world. Well, there was a teacher as they were putting together a memorial service there in Texas for the students and for the teachers. And in that memorial service, one of the teachers came up to the podium and she asked a room full of 232 students, how many of you would like to pray? 232 hands went up in the air. All those students wanted to pray to God. And these are some prayers that those kids gave God, please help all the kids who saw the bad things happen, but they did not die, and now they're really scared. God, I pray that you please make all the moms and dads be comforted. Well, I mean, just help them. God, make everyone just quit hurting each other and be like friends with each other. Please do not let people kill. Just make us all stop the fighting and killing. God, can you make everyone love each other, especially the kids? Thank you for the teachers who died yesterday, who loved their kids so much, God. Thank you for our teachers, God. That's what hate did to these kids. It gave them a sense of the fear of the Lord in that state. And those are two types of extremes that we have. We've got one side where that's hate. We can clearly describe that. And then we have the other side where it's more of a dislike. But what kind of hate do some believers show? I think of Ananias. Look at Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9, verses 10 through 14. And many of us know the story of Ananias. We know that Saul was on the road to Damascus when he was blinded by a light and saw Jesus. And then he was blinded for several days. And the Lord comes to Ananias here in Acts chapter 9, verses 10 through 14. And here's what it says. <clears throat> now there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay hands on him, so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many people about this man, how much harm he did to your saints in Jerusalem. And here, is, and here he has authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. Now, it's a fairly small glimpse right there in Acts chapter 9. We really think of Saul as really being the one who did all the hating. Um, 
now known as Paul for many of us, but Saul was the one who was persecuting the Christians. He was a believer in God. He was still persecuting those Christians. He even put to death Stephen. But we know that hatred, ultimately, especially here in the story, it can be shown because of strong opposition towards other Christians or towards other people. And I think most prominently we think of hatred towards people of different beliefs. We take a strong stand sometimes. The agnostic or atheist. We can show a lot of hatred towards them sometimes. LGBTQ community. A lot of hatred can be shown to them. And I also think back to a story of the LGBTQ community when there was that shooting down in Miami. And Chick-fil-A ended up donating a whole bunch of meals to those uh, memorials that were going on down there. And the community said, no, 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 we don't want your sandwiches. We don't want your food because of your stance on marriage and how it needs to be between a man and a wife. So they didn't take that food. A strong opposition can sometimes be seen as hatred, even though we don't intend for it to be, at least not always. Denominations or other religions, we can show a lot of contention or a lot of hatred towards other religions, people with various backgrounds. So are our words and actions showing hate to those of opposing views? It's my question for you tonight. Think of Cain, Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4, verses 3 through 8. Genesis 4, verses 3 through 8. Genesis 4, verses 3 through 8 says, So it came about in the course of the time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. And Abel, on his part, also brought the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering. But for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. So Cain became very angry, and his countenance fell. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will, you not, <clears throat> will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you, but you must master it. And Cain told Abel his brother, And it came about when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. Sometimes anger and jealousy leads us to hatred. We may be angry or jealous about other people that succeed in life, that may have more possessions, they've acquired more wealth, or people who have harmed or offended us. It is very hard for us sometimes to love somebody who has offended us or hated us. Sometimes we may be angry or hate the spiritually mature. Those who have grasped knowledge, who understand it, and end up having different and opposing views than we do. And anger and hatred can be shown, or, angry, or anger and jealousy can be shown towards that. So are our words and actions showing hate to those who have angered or made us jealous? 
And I want you to think about that. Your words are actions. I'm not asking you if you hate somebody. I'm asking you what your words and your actions are doing. Just because you don't believe that you hate somebody, your words and your actions may show something completely different. So some lessons from hate. Hatred is often the root cause of negative emotions like anger, bitterness, jealousy, rebellion, and hostility. Think of David and Bathsheba. David had a whole lot of emotions about jealousy. He saw Bathsheba on that roof. He wanted it. He acquired it. And then when it got found out, um, there was a lot of rebellion and hostility at that point, and he had Uriah killed. Think of Cain. We just talked about him. Hatred never operates in isolation. Hate is actually shown by our actions and our words. Think of Jacob and Joseph. Jacob loved Joseph more than he did any of the others. And what did it end up getting Joseph? It got Joseph thrown into a pit, where he was then put into Egypt and uh, ended up actually saving a whole entire community and country from starvation. Uvalde, Texas. Hate doesn't just happen to one person. It affects everybody around. Look at James chapter 4 and verse 1. James chapter 4 verses 1 and 2. James chapter 4 verses 1 and 2. Beginning in verse 1, what is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source of your pleasure that wage war in your members? You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. And you are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong, most, with wrong motives, so that you may spend it on your pleasures. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And then in Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 12, Proverbs 10 and verse 12. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 12. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all transgressions. Hatred stirs up strife. It's going to affect those around us. <clears throat> Hatred is multifaceted. It affects you spiritually, mentally, emotionally, and physically. And that's been linked by all sorts of studies, all sorts of medical journals. They link hatred to a lot of different problems that happen physically, emotionally, and mentally. While they don't delve into the spiritual side, it does affect us spiritually. Hate is not just an emotion. It's a state of being that involves choices, behaviors, thoughts, and it separates people rather than brings them together because the one hating sets themselves away from another. And ultimately, hate is a sin. That's what it boils down to, is hate is a sin. 1 John 2 and verse 9. 1 John 2, verse 9. 
1 John chapter 2 and verse 9. The one who says that he is in the light and yet hates his brother or sister is in the darkness until now. 1 John 3, 15. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 15. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. And finally, Matthew chapter 5, verse 21 and 22. Matthew 5, 21 and 22. Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 21. You have heard that the ancients were told, You shall not commit murder, and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever shall say, You fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Hate is a sin. So, how do you deal with hate? Maybe you have some pent-up hate towards somebody. Maybe your actions and your words have been speaking louder, and it's reflecting hate. How do we deal with it? Well, confess hatred as a sin. That's what it is, according to the Bible. Ask God to forgive you. Forgive the one who's offended you. You may need to confront the person and ask or extend forgiveness. But you must resolve the root cause behind the hatred. Pray for your enemy and extend mercy. Luke 6, verse 27 through 36, that actually directs you to pray for your enemies, to respond to their needs, to extend to them the same mercy that the merciful God has extended to you. Keep your heart from hatred. Do not allow bitterness, unforgiveness to fester into hatred. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issue of life. Proverbs 4, verse 23. You keep your heart through prayer and study and application of God's Word. And ask God to release love to replace the hatred. Look through 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And ask God to develop those qualities in your life for love that's listed there. Christian, Christians who truly fear the Lord will put off hate because they fear the Lord and hate is a sin. So let's talk about love. We've got about 20 minutes, 25 minutes to go through love. Pizza. I love pizza. I'm sure many of you do as well. Sports, specifically football. I know many in this room love football. Those are all ways that people try to describe love. And it's not the same kind of love that we're going to talk about tonight. So what are some facts about love? Well, love is clearly demonstrated in the scriptures. That is the first fact, John 3, 16. John chapter 3 and verse 16. And I think we all know it. Most of you don't even have to turn to it. 
John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Love is inconvenient. Isaiah chapter 42. Isaiah chapter 42, verses 2 and 3. Isaiah 42, verses 2 and 3. Beginning in verse 2, it says, He will not cry out or raise his voice, nor make his voice heard in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a dimly burning wick he will not extinguish. He will faithfully bring forth justice. Well, what does that have to do with being inconvenient? That wick that's talked about right there in verse 3. That dimly burning wick. When we go back to the Old Testament times, all their candles were lit with flax. And that flax was put into a pot of oil. The oil soaked up into the flax and they lit it. And then as it was lit, it would light up the house for them, light up the outside for them, and they could go about doing their thing. But what you never wanted to do was let the lamp run out of oil. Because when it runs out of oil, and that flame starts to die out, it starts to smoke. And that smoke actually has these irritants in it that causes the eyes to burn and itch. Isaiah 42 is talking about Jesus here. It's a prophecy about Jesus. And it says, a dimly burning wick he will not extinguish. As much smoke fills that room, Jesus isn't putting that out. He's going to let it irritate his eyes. Love is going to be inconvenient. Romans chapter 5 and verse 10. Romans 5 verse 10. Romans chapter 5 and verse 10. Romans 5 verse 10 says, and the PowerPoint did not get that one, so. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. <clears throat> so love restores. Love also covers. Proverbs 10 verse 12, as we read earlier, Proverbs 10 verse 12 Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. Love suffers. Look at Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews 10, verses 32 through 34. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 32 through 34. But remember the former days when after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict or sufferings, partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations, and partly by becoming sharers with those who were, treated, who were so treated. <clears throat> Love also binds. Colossians chapter 3. 
Colossians 3, verses 12 through 14. Colossians 3, 12 through 14. Colossians 3, 12 through 14. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so must you do also. In addition to all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. And then 1 Peter 3, verse 8 through 12. 1 Peter 3, 8 through 12. 12. Beginning in verse 8, to sum up, let all be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. For let him whose means to love life and see God, see good days, refrain from <clears throat> his tongue, evil and his lips from speaking guile, and let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears attend to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So what is love? Vines describes love as a characteristic word of Christianity. It describes the attitude of God towards his son, the human race generally, and to such as believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. So just like hate, Love is not merely just a feeling that's in our heart. Love is also an action. Love is essential in good works. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. First Corinthians 13 verses 1 through 3. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have the gift of prophecy and know all the mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I deliver my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing." Love is essential in all good works. But love is also an action. Look at verses 4 through 7. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. Does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Does not take into account a wrong suffered. Does not rejoice in unrighteousness. But rejoices with truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. In John chapter 14, verse 15. John 14, verse 15. 
John chapter 14, verse 15. Verse 15 says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Skipping down to verse 23 and 24. Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will follow my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our dwelling with him. The one who does not love me does not follow my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Love is obedience. They're going to keep his commandments. John 15, verses 12 through 14. John 15, 12 through 14. This is my commandment, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one <clears throat> than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. Loving one another is required in love. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 4. 1 John 2 and verse 4. First John chapter 2 and verse 4. The one who says, I have <clears throat> come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever follows his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. So those who keep God's word have developed perfect love. Love is sacrificial. It makes sacrifices for others, whether great or small. 1 John chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. 1 John 3, 16 and 17. 1 John chapter 3, beginning in verse 16. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and beholds his brother in need, and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Love's going to require some sacrifices in our lives. 1 John 3, verses 18 through 24. Chapter 3, 18 through 24. Little children, let us not love <clears throat> with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. We shall know by this that we are of the truth and shall assure our heart before him. And whenever our heart condemns us, for God is greater than our heart and knows all things. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is the commandment that we believe in the name <clears throat> of his Son, Jesus Christ, and the love one another, just as he commanded us. And the one who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him. And we know by this that he abides in us, by the Spirit whom he has given us. 
Love worships in truth and action. But love also requires the full body. Again, love is not just a feeling. It's going to require action. Matthew chapter 22, verse 37. Matthew 22, verse 37. Matthew chapter 22, beginning in verse 37. And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. It takes both soul, mind, heart, tongue. You see tongue much earlier, I think, in chapter 4. takes all of it. Now we talked about earlier Uvalde, Texas and the hate <clears throat> that happened there. But I left out one prayer. One prayer that the child came up last and prayed. God, please forgive the man who shot everyone. That little girl's heart full of love, even for a man that did such great harm. She showed love and compassion. Do you love the way that God loves you? Because that girl knows what love is. God died for us while we were still sinners, while we were enemies to him. He gave us that hope he gives us love. He is the perfecter of love. And us as lights need to be showing that same kind of love for everyone around us. Poor, rich, no matter what race, ethnicity, no matter what religion. Show some love. Do we love the way that God loves us? <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 27. Hebrews 10, 19 through 27. I think this is the perfect passage to end on. Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 19 through 27. Since therefore, brethren, we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new living, the way which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own as assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. <clears throat> for if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin, but a certain terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of fire which will consume the adversaries. 
Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. So the fear of the Lord will draw us to love that ultimately lets us have faith. It's going to have that true heart in full assurance of faith, verse 22. It's going to let us have hope, also in verse 22. Heart sprinkled clean from evil conscience or repentance. Verse 24, it's going to let us love. Verse 23, we got to hold fast to the confession of our hope. Our bodies must be washed in that pure water of baptism and ultimately remain faithful and love. That's the lesson for tonight. I hope that it's been encouraging to you. I hope that you've been able to get something or draw something out of it. And hopefully we can have the same love that God has for us. Hopefully we can put off hate. Hopefully we can be a light to someone else who has hate pinned up inside of them and show them the love that was afforded to us through the sacrifice of Christ. If you have not made your heart right with God and you need to do so tonight, now is the time to come as we stand and as we sing.